Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Digitalks podcast. I am your host, Natalie, and today I'm joined by Georgia Alcup. Thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here today. We are very bright and colourful today. No, no, this was not planned if you are watching, um, but good vibes. I'm feeling it. Yes, exactly. I think <laughs> if you need to be business, you may as well make it fun. So why not add a bit of colour? Couldn't agree more. I'm super excited to have you because we've had lots of requests for TikTok specific, and I feel like that is your jam. Yes, I absolutely love the platform and when I was at the UDI, I had the opportunity to like really get stuck into it and go to a few like interstate conferences and, and workshops like that. So I feel like I know my way around the platform quite a bit. Yeah, I really like it. It's a great platform. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you who aren't familiar with Georgia, she is a performance marketing specialist with an extensive background in digital advertising having worked on both agency and client side for some of the biggest e-commerce brands to develop a holistic view of what elements drive brand growth. Previously, Georgia was Senior Digital Performance Marketing Specialist, that's a mouthful, at the Davy Group, <laughs> yes, beloved home of the Udi, where she managed the digital performance for multiple brands within the group and developed a framework to provide creative feedback. She's currently Head of Performance at Ecom Nation, where she works with specifically e-com brands across multiple industries, developing the ideal performance marketing strategy to drive results. The perfect role for someone who is passionate about building brands digitally and understands the importance that each role plays in the customer journey. So tell me, how did you even get into digital? Well, it's actually quite a funny story. So I originally started out with traditional media and I was based in an agency in Adelaide. I mean, I remember always reading ad news and seeing all this stuff about the demand for digital and no one really had the skill set. And I always put my hand up for quite a few different roles, but my director at the time was really adamant on just keeping me traditional. And when, say, roles would come through for digital, it was always like palming them off to like boys or people that he thought would be more suited. But I just knew I really wanted to learn it. So then when a role came up in Melbourne in the performance team, I applied for it. It actually happened not too long before COVID. So I ended up working from Adelaide for a bit, then doing it remotely. And I had an amazing boss then, Jono, and he just sort of taught it like an art and made it really relatable. And I just sort of fell in love with it. And then from then, I'd sort of been obsessed with the way that you can sort of dictate the way people not only experience a brand, but you can kind of follow the whole consumer journey just through a phone or a laptop or a tablet. So it's pretty amazing. It's pretty cool, isn't it's it? It's so cool. Do you feel like your background in traditional actually made you a better performance marketer? To a degree, I think it gave me a good understanding on the way people engage with different platforms, but I think they all play a role, but it allowed me to sort of understand the way you can fully quantify digital. Like it's sort of like, there's no guessing, it's all numbers. So, you know, if you're good at your job, it's obvious. And if you're bad at your job, you kind of can't hide. Yeah. So it sort of motivates you every day to give your best, I guess. It's almost like a catch-22 though. And I'm really glad you say that because something that's come up a few times has been, you know, the measurability of digital. Yes, it's great. We can see all of the numbers, but it kind of contradicts that holistic approach to marketing where sometimes you just need those big brand campaigns that aren't necessarily measurable. Yeah, that's funny that you say that because I think because I did do traditional, I'm always on the fence with both of those things. Yeah. Like I, I sort of see the role that traditional plays and I do think it's great for like getting those eyeballs, having that big impact. Like there's nothing like, you know, seeing a really big billboard based in like say a, an obvious location where a lot of people kind of pass through with traffic or, or a lot of people walk by and stuff like that. And it does help build that sort of brand credibility, I find. So yep. I think if you're sort of, depending on what industry you're in really. So if you're somewhere where you want to build credibility, you want to 
be known to a lot of different people and you don't need that bottom of the funnel revenue, exactly. then I think traditional has a place. But if you're someone that's sort of, you know, you're driving that revenue, you're wanting to just, every dollar you're spending, you're almost wanting money back. I think there's a lot of ways digitally you can sort of go for that level of awareness without just focusing on bottom of the funnel, say with some more awareness campaigns or say using platforms like TikTok or display advertising to sort of get that awareness, get those eyeballs, but not necessarily drive the dollars through your site. Yep, exactly right. Exactly right. It's, it is interesting because it almost flips everything that, you know, we learn about fundamentals of marketing. Oh, 100%. Head, right? Yeah, it's really weird. It's, it's so unusual, but I kind of love it a bit. And I like that I've sort of got to dabble in both so I can see how they're both play a role in the consumer journey, just sort of depending on like what your brand is and what your outcome is. Because at the end of the day, everyone consumes everything differently. So I think if you've got the budget, it's definitely worth sort of investing in in multiple avenues because, you know, people are everywhere. Yeah, exactly. Test, test and more testing, right? 100%. I find it really interesting that someone of your age has done traditional because, you know, I come across so many graduates or people that are in their first, second marketing job and a lot of them went straight into digital because that's just... You know, you're the young one. You can do you can do the digital stuff. Yeah, I, I actually wanted that to happen, but I didn't, <laughs> it would have been so much easier. But no, I had to learn traditional to start off with just because I guess being based in an Adelaide-based agency, and I think historically, I think it's pivoted now though, people used to go traditional first. Traditional first, you know, I need TV spots. I need billboards. I want to be in newspapers. And, you know, I think COVID really accelerated the need for digital. 100%. And the, the reliance on like, you know, people aren't, catching buses, you know, people aren't... Out of home was null and void, right? Yeah, pretty much. And like, you know, newspapers, like not much was really happening. So the demand for that was sort of going and and things like that. So I think it, it allowed people to have to learn digital a lot quicker over the past few years because the demand just escalated. Where when I started, it was sort of like, you know, traditional and there were a few people that new digital. But if I hadn't accepted that role in Melbourne, I would have never got the experience that I had because obviously like bigger states, bigger budgets. And even then though, traditional would still be first, but we kind of had a big enough percent of the budget to do cool stuff digitally. When you talk about percent of the budget, I know that's a big thing in agencies where you've obviously got the traditional versus the digital. Did you kind of have to plead your case as to why you needed a piece of the pie for digital? Definitely, definitely. It was actually quite a challenge with a lot of the brands because I think people assume, you know, you see your ad on a TV or you see your ad on a billboard and you hear it on the radio where it's all relevant and it is all relative. It was a lot harder to sort of plead your case when you were in the digital team to sort of be like, no, we need more budget. Like it should be digital first and then other other Can support platforms. It. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Where now I think it's a little bit more balanced. How did you go even, I guess, communicating the need for specific content for digital too? Because it's not like, hey, we can just use that TVC creative. We need something specific for digital. Yeah, it's, it's sort of an education piece because I tend to find, you know, working with creative agencies, they're all so amazing and they've got such great ideas and big concepts and bold concepts. But sometimes, you know, you need to layer it back and make it relative to what the outcome for the business is. And that's sort of like a bit of always like a roadblock with performance because especially since the iOS update, um, when that happened quite a few years ago, where your skills as a media buyer sort of were restricted due to like, you know, the transparency with audiences and all these sort of restrictions. and and, and It changed changed the game. It changed the way we had to approach everything. Oh, 100%. Like you used to be able to probably go out with a pretty average ad and an awesome strategy from a targeting perspective and a placement perspective and, and really know that you're going to get yeah, in front of the really right strong, people, right? Yeah, and get a strong return on investment where that sort of pivoted and then it sort of came like, you know, performance creative sort of stepped up and you're going, you know, this might work on a TVC or it might work on YouTube, but necessarily on Facebook, it could flop. 
And on TikTok, it definitely won't work, you know? And if, yeah. say, people are doing Snapchat ads or Pinterest ads, like, you need to sort of be native to the platform so exactly that right. it's not punching them in the face with some content that they're like, ooh, why is this here? Scroll, skip. But isn't it funny that some, you know, I've worked with many, many marketers and I think things have changed over the years, but used to be performance was meant to be disruptive and social was meant to be disruptive. And I challenge that because, no, you want it to almost be like it's a friend or family member that's posting something and you engage with it personally as opposed to what the hell are you doing here? How did you, how did you get on my feed? Yeah, I agree with what you're saying there because in the sense of it's not meant to be disruptive as in break what they're experiencing. Yeah. And you want to feel like, I think the thing with digital and why I really like it is it's a personal media. Like, you know, you're not sitting there scrolling your feed in front of your family. Like it's something you're doing alone or, you know, at your desk or wherever you might be. And, and it's so tailored to you, right? Exactly. It's really like personal and it, it makes sense to you. But I think in the sense you need to be disruptive in in breaking their attention from being bland and being boring. And, you know, you have those yep. hooks, you have that call to action, you, you're switching what they're being shown every three or four seconds just to sort of keep them engaged and, and keep them captivated. So be disruptive in that sense, but don't be disruptive in the sense of why am I watching a TV ad on TikTok? Yep. Ew. <laughs> Ew. Yeah. <laughs> like literally, and they're really critical, the TikTok audience. Like when they see something that doesn't make sense, like they'll comment, they'll, they'll just skip it. It's quite, you need to be really native to that platform and because they're like almost on it all the time. It's yeah. very obvious when you're sort of like breaking that sort of native content sort of style. And Yeah. Well, I think, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but like I feel like with TikTok in particular, like you're better off actually working with creators to do product placement without even mentioning the brand as opposed to a sponsored ad with your brand creative. Definitely. I think that's a great opportunity for brands is sort of, you know, lean into someone that's already addicted to the platform, that knows what their audience wants, that knows what the people want, get them to create content. Because then also you've got that opportunity to repurpose it and get more bang for your buck. So not only are you saving on, say, finding, auditioning and doing all these sort of different things and writing the script and coming up with these concepts that you're not sure will work, where yeah. if you go to someone that gets their audience, gets what people want, get mm. what that sort of bucket of people are looking for. They can create you some content that organically can flourish. You can repurpose on your own socials and then you can also execute from a paid perspective. So you're getting like so much versatility out of one piece of content. So that's definitely something brands should consider. And isn't that crazy when you look back to the traditional model being one TVC? I know, it's and crazy. They're, and they're spending like 30, 60K on a TVC that gets shown in one placement. Whereas now we're like, cool, I can spend... This is the thing. This is what blows my mind. People will squirm at, you know, got to pay a creator 1500 bucks for, for a, a 30 second reel. But you get to use it across so many different things. I think it's sort of an education piece. Because, it is. you know, if you're going to the right creators and you're getting the right content, your return on investment could be amazing. And you might spend, I know in the past, it's a lot of money, but I was working for quite a big brand at the time. We probably invested tens of thousands, I'd say, into a creator. But the return on investment was, I think it was around 10 times. Yeah, well, so it's worth so every cent. So you're going, wow, it's it's a big budget. But if if it's right content and yeah. you can repurpose it for X amount of months or if, if they don't even give you an end date and you can just keep hammering it, you definitely should do it. And, you know, 10 years ago, people were probably spending, like you said, upwards of 50 grand for, for content that they're probably going to run all year where now people are kind of almost content junkies in the sense of yep. you can't keep using the same thing. You constantly need to re-refresh it. People live on their phones. Yeah. 
So it's sort of, you know, you need to stay fresh, you need to stay relevant, but you also need to stay top of mind. So, you know, yeah. constantly have that content. There's no such thing as too much content. And no. I think what's made it, I mean, you know, you would have seen it too, but in the last few years in particular, you know, you could probably get away with a frequency of like, you know, maybe three on Facebook. Now I feel like it starts dropping as soon as I get to even around two, the performance plummets. Yeah, you constantly need to refresh creative. So you sort of need to have that feedback loop either through an agency, through a creator. But yeah, they definitely need to constantly update content because just people get sick of it and creative fatigue's a thing. Yeah. And depending on the size of your budget, obviously, and the audience that you're trying to tap into, if people constantly see the same thing, they're not really inspired to take action. And like the purpose of content is to like drive action, drive engagement, educate people. But if you sort of constantly going out with a message that's the same, it's like, well, if it didn't work it the is. first time, yeah, it's why is it going to work the next now? time? That is so true. You know, it makes me laugh. Like I think back to influencer marketing, let's say five years ago, we used to spend, like what we used to spend on big influencers, like I'm talking like Americans to do product placement, like a one posting and you're paying like $10,000, $20,000. You'd literally get one use out of that photo. Wow. And I think now, again, I, I'm, just, I'm just kind of reminded myself that People get people squabble over fifteen hundred dollars or two thousand dollars for multiple pieces of content. Yeah, you get so much more use out of. It's just how how things have changed. The the creator economy is a real thing. Definitely, if you're the right creator, for sure. But there's also there's people out there that don't make that good content. You oh no no. But I think if you're obviously like aligned with people that know creators or have an idea on what works and what doesn't work, and they sort of do that filtering process for you. You're laughing. What are your thoughts around like creator platforms? I feel like there's a lot of average creators in a sense. Like obviously I'm not going to go and and say they're not doing a good job. If I try to shoot content, I'm actually… Oh, I'm not patient I'm, enough. I pay people for I, that. Oh, I, honestly, I try it. And I remember one day I was like, we had a few products at one of my old jobs and I was like, yeah, I'll shoot some. I was awful. And I was yeah. like, oh, I'm so critical of I know what works and I can't even do it myself. That, that's the problem because we're strategic thinkers and we know what we want and we yeah. know what we need. So then we're not patient enough to actually do the fucking thing. Yeah, exactly. 100%. <laughs> I know you mean. I was like, I know what this needs to look like and I'd watch the video myself and i go, I want to cry. No. Um, but yeah, I definitely think creator platforms work in a sense of if you're good at filtering, you know what you're looking for, you know... There's, there's some social proof or some evidence of ads that they've done and not just like, oh, wow, I've shot this good piece of content, but like, what's the return on investment for the things that you're putting out there? Like, awesome that you're shooting this content, but like, do they get, depending on, obviously, not every brand is solely focused on revenue. Of course. There's of obviously course. the awareness element, but like, you know, are people engaging with your content? Like, a perfect example, I'm obsessed with them, is like the Inspired Unemployed. Like, Love they're them. amazing. I Love would them. I would honestly sell a kidney to get them to do an ad if I had a product. Like, <laughs> They're amazing. But like, you know that they've got that engagement. You know, like, better beer is living proof of that. 100%. Fastest grossing beer business ever. Isn't that wild? Oh, it's um, like, oh, they, like, literally, they're just amazing. I'm obsessed. But that's proof of, you know, you get a good creator, you can move mountains. Agree. And they have good content. But at the same time, you know, there's no point paying someone two grand if you're like, well, where's, where's the, like, what have you done? Are you actually going to have an uplift? Do you make content that resonates? Is your content good quality? What's the lighting like? You know, what's your sound quality? How many edits am I allowed to get? Because as a brand, you know, yes. you don't want to just have someone like, this is your final product, done. It's yeah, like, have fun. Yeah, bye. It might not work, but I don't care. You kind of want someone that, you know, if there's something that needs to be changed or pivoted, they're willing to do it. 
obviously within reason, like you don't want to make them do Of course. But that's where a good brief comes in too. Exactly. And I think, and you know, the reason I ask you this, because I have a lot of clients come to me, particularly at, with the rise of TikTok and they're going, you know, I found this creator platform and I want to do this and this and I found this person, this person. I'm like, I would rather troll through accounts and find people yeah. who actually catch my attention organically and build a relationship with them as opposed to, you know, you're on a platform. I don't think you're going to find the best outcome. And I also sometimes think on creative platforms, it gives the opportunity for people to just get quick money. Like Agreed. they're not necessarily inspired not- to be creators. They're not necessarily wanting to be some level of influencer slash famous. Like they might just want 150 bucks really quick. Yeah. And then, you know, you get some content back. And I know in the past, there was a time where um, previously we explored... UGC and, you know, we probably invested a few thousand, like tens of thousands into it. And, you know, the return on investment to the effort gone into it, the time spent, you know, producing these briefs, editing the videos, it just wasn't really worth it where I think you're almost better off aligning with people that align with your brand. Like I, if I had a brand and this is what I tell all the brands I work with, find someone that you go, fuck yeah, you're my brand. Yeah. You, and you're an actual customer too. Like yeah. what makes me, what makes me laugh, I remember sitting down with a fashion client, they're e-com, but they're also wholesale. And they said, you know, I want to find some influencers, well, why? And I said, can we actually just pull up your top 10 customers? I just want to have a look at how much they're spending, how frequently they're spending. One of them was spending, I'm talking like 5000 a month. I love that. Right. I said, why wouldn't we be better off doing a profile on this customer who literally buys and wears your, pro- she's walking, talking billboard. Yeah. Why wouldn't we want to build a better relationship with someone who already has skin in the game as opposed to going and finding someone who probably wear your product once would never actually genuinely buy it. Yeah, and also it's just it's just genuine as right. well. Like you know, authenticity is what people crave. So if you can find someone that loves your brand, get them to speak to it because it's not even effort for them. Like they're already obsessed with it. Do you exactly know what I mean? Right. It's not like being like, I want you to feel excited about the product, and then you know you watch you watch their version and you go, oh, that was just so. Like, if that was to come up in my feed, I'm not captivated, I'm not engaged, I'm not inspired, and I don't care. I'm not buying it. No. I'm just not buying it. But that's a great idea to go for the top. Like, we've had a few conversations with a few brands, and I think it's a great opportunity because they're loyalists. Like, they love your brand. Like, whatever you're putting out there, they want, and you want them to spread that kind of element of joy around your products. Exactly. But, you know, going, going back to your point about, you know, having some hard numbers around the success of creator performance, I think that's really, really interesting. And I think that goes back to if you build relationships with, with them, you know, educating these creators to go have a bit of a brand kit ready. If, you know, if you specialize in the beauty industry, have a little bit of a deck with some examples of work that you've done. Get some, get some hard numbers from the client. Like I see no reason. If, if, if an influencer that I'd worked with came to me and said, hey, do you have any stats around, you know, what success my content actually drove, I would 100% give it to them. Yeah, that'd be good. Do you know what I mean? And then I would feel, and I'm just putting on the flip side, so any any creators listening, putting on the flip side, if, if a creator came to me and said, hey, this is a bit of a case study, a bit of a portfolio, let's say, I'd be impressed. Yeah, I think it's great. And I think there's no harm in, you know, pushing some numbers out there. Like, why wouldn't you do that? But obviously, because I'm from a performance background, I find it hard to just look at something for face value. So that's a, probably a bit of bias on my end because I'm like, oh, there's no numbers behind it. I don't believe it. Yeah, but this is, but this goes back to the whole change in the in the landscape in the sense that no longer can you just post a pretty photo. No, no. It doesn't that's work like gone. that anymore. And I think also with the introduction of video becoming quite dominant, although on that, statics with USPs work really well. So, you know, 100%. it doesn't always need to just be a video. 
But on that, people want more. Like there's a lot out there. Like the amount of e-commerce brands and not even just e-commerce brands, brands that used to probably just be in store that are now like, hey, we weren't able to sell in store. We're now online. We're seeing that, you know, you're not restricted to your area code or where you can, you know, people come in and pass by. Like you can reach, it's World Wide Web. Yep, it's everyone everywhere. Market. Yeah, like, yep. you know, you're not just competing with stores down the road. It's everyone now. And I think with that level of competition, that level of demand, desire, like, you know, why are you different? Why are people spending money with yes. you? Like, you know, you need to really consider the content you're putting out there and and kind of fight for those dollars. I actually asked someone the question the other day and I said, um, do you actually know why people choose to shop with you over the competitor who, let's be honest, most of your products are very similar. Oh, because we're, we're like we're just here, or you know, we we post on Instagram. I'm like, no, that's not why. There's got to be there's got to be a reason why. They looked at me like I had ten heads, and then we really knuckled down to it. People actually shop with you because they actually like the guy who owns the shop. He is an absolute character. We started going through all their reviews on Google. Every single review mentioned this guy. Really, yeah, to the point where people go, I will drive halfway across Adelaide to come and see this guy. I love that for him. Now. Obviously, social, how can you replicate that? We can't, but we can incorporate that into the strategy. So one of the things that I'm really finding at the moment is understanding that online-offline connection. How can we connect the dots? Because if you if you are a traditionally bricks-and-mortar store that's had to go online because of, you know, COVID and all those things, you've still got to try and demonstrate your value or your point of difference. Yeah, I love that point that you raise that because that's actually something that we've sort of worked with a couple of the one of my clients that I'm working with at the moment is that, you know, in store they had this, before they came on board with us, in store they had this like really amazing level of like attention and education. Their customers, people came in, they're like, we love the experience we get here. And then there was like this big disjoint between what they experienced on their site and what they experienced in their ads. They were a bit soulless. They were a bit, you know, almost stock image vibes. Yeah. And then what we've really worked close with them is like, let's tell this narrative through the content we're publishing, the way we're approaching them, the the format of the ads. And it's just had such an uplift. And it's sort of almost like, you know, I go to their site now, I get their ad and I feel like I'm connecting with that brand and that experience that someone who lives in the state, because this is not from our state, it's an interstate client, would experience, say, going into their their bar and store or their other store. I'm getting that online, which is, it's a really great thing to be able to help people do that. And obviously, you'd definitely be so experienced in that with your content background and the way you've sort of grown things from an organic perspective and, and all that and a creative perspective. But it's sort of just getting brands to like, you know, you're more than a website and you're not just a Facebook ad. And it's sort of just educating them on like, 100%. how can we show your why? Like out of all the brands on this planet that have access to Wi-Fi. And, <laughs> and, and a lot of them. Yeah, so many. Like why Why you? Like what's your difference? And yeah. kind of making things personal. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I think, you know, I think people forgot that the market was so crowded and it was almost like, well, you know, I'm online. So that's... Tick, like box ticked. Yeah. And I think that used to be the case. Yeah. But now it's not. Like things have changed. Things have changed. And it's a lot hard for brands to to not just win short term, but you know, you want longevity. Mm-hmm. You want a brand that's here and, and, and sticks around. You don't want to be here, make a quick bucks, make 500 grand and then be gone. And mm-hmm. then, you know, then what's your plan? Then what's next? It's sort of, you need to have like a long game and, and have a why. And, and you know, I think that's also like, this is a bit off topic, but kind of on topic. Like people are so tuned into founder stories now because people go, I want to support 
this person. Like, I love this person. Yeah. So I'm going to love their brand and I see how hard they work. So I care for this brand because I care for this person. And that's something that brands should really be leaning into if they're not at the moment. It's like, you know, tell your founder story. People like, connect with people. Exactly. And that's like TikTok. People are obsessed with it because TikTok came about in a time where everyone was so isolated and so alone. Like, mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to bring it up, but COVID was so grim. Like, you know, you're stuck at home, you're in your screens. And then, you know, this platform came out where people looked pretty average on it. Like no one was doled up. It's like the funny friend. Yeah. And in trackies doing dances in their kitchen. Yeah. And people loved it. And it sort of, it brought sort of a human-like element and a connected element to such an isolated, alone time. And, you know, people were having probably funny stitch videos or something with people in different countries around the world. And it sort of, unlocked an an opportunity for brands to go, let me tell my personality. Like, you know, in a TVC, you might not see like what a brand's about, but then, you know, you can go into TikTok and it's not polished. It's, it's the, it's the curation. And I think that's where we saw the impact of that on social, right? Yeah. People, yes, the brand campaign does the job. It sets the narrative that you want to deliver. However, if you need, if you want that next level and that real brand engagement, you need to be prepared to peel back a couple layers. Definitely. I think, you know, if you, the more polished you are, the less connected people are. Yeah. And I don't think people, people are looking for authenticity. People are looking for genuine brands that give a shit now. Like, yeah. you know, even now, a lot of people consider like, is this brand really sustainable? Are they ethical? Obviously not to like the nth degree because people still buy fast fashion and things of like course. that. But I think there's that layer of people are starting to care more about other things. So it's sort of really good to sort of have that opportunity to connect either through what you're telling them or who you are or what you're about, your purpose. On on the flip side of that, you know, if you're going to say you're sustainable or you're considered by the environment, you know, Carly Atkins of Consumer Studio, she talked about this back in, I think it was season one. And, um, you know, you're actually better off not even mentioning sustainability Mm. or any environmental awareness if you're not going to be 110% committed. You know, there are brands that are saying they're environmental and then send their garments in a plastic satchel. Yeah, that, that, that rubs on. me up the wrong way. I, yeah. And I think it's, I, interestingly enough, I think it's your generation, and I have a lot of respect for this, you guys are aware and you call out the bullshit. My generation, it, it just wasn't a thing. Like, you know, we had things wrapped in 10 layers of bloody plastic and no one ever really thought about it. But now we're, we're aware of it. Yeah, I think it's sort of a, a thing in the recent years that's become more obvious because... Yeah, I think people are just becoming more aware of it. And it's sort of just like also, I also think our level of consumption's increased. Like we're a consumer society. Like Correct. people are just churning through outfits and products and, you know, people are just buying and buying and buying. But I think now obviously with people's potentially tightened spending mm. and also people becoming more aware of like, do I really need to be like buying 10 outfits this month? Do you know what I mean? It's sort of like being like, can I pick a product that I might like more and wear more rather than just, you know, getting that cool pick for Instagram? Like, I think there's been a shift in that sort of mindset. Totally agree. Totally agree. I even, you know, I even love now that hiring is so much more accessible. Like, back many, many moons ago, you know, I reckon I hired my first dress when I was like 22. It wasn't a thing. It was rare. Whereas now it's why would I go buy something that I'm going to wear once? Exactly. Which I love that attitude. I think that's I think that's healthy. Yeah, I think I think that's definitely changed. I think big brands would be a bit annoyed though. They're like, buy our dresses, come on. <laughs> please buy more. Yeah, please. <laughs> but I think from like a society level, like people are just more conscious of that stuff. And people call out brands for greenwashing. Like being like, cool, you've got like one eco range, but then like everything else is like plundering the earth. <laughs> Where like, obviously I'm not, I'm not saying like everything I do in my life is sustainable, but I think 
people just try to be that 1% better. Like, obviously, they're not trying to be 100% eco. Like, it's kind of impossible. But you can't go from zero to 100 real quick. Yeah, you know? no. It's just, you know, those small, simple changes or like little things that brands could do a bit better that make a big difference. Yeah, totally agree. I do want to talk about your time at the Davy Group because I think, you know, working on the Udi must have been an incredible experience for you and seeing that brand grow. What was your primary role there? What, what, what were the kind of things that you were focused on? I was predominantly focused on obviously paid social because it's such a big thing for the brand because it's such a big brand. The budgets are just astronomical. Like We love that. Yeah, I love it. It was amazing. And it was, <laughs> it's great to have the opportunity to sort of get to be tactical and, you know, take those risks that other brands probably don't have the opportunity to take to then actually see the proofs in the pudding. So, you know, you could test a, con- a concept. And something I really lent into there was like performance creative. And that's sort of where I discovered my love for it. Like, Previously, obviously, because I was a more agency side, I didn't have that opportunity to sort of be like, let's test this hook. Let's test split screen. Let's see the way that these different elements impact return on investment. Because obviously, you know, when you're client side, I loved it. Like, you see everything. Like, you know, you see the dollars, you see the losses, you see the wins, you see... There's no... It's a full picture. Yeah. So then you're able to see like, this is what I did and this is the impact I had. Yep. So I'd say... Yeah, predominantly performance focused, but I was obsessed with it because I just got to learn so many things and I got to understand the importance of like, you know, your MER, so understanding your marketing efficiency ratio and yep. all these Which not of, enough businesses take into consideration. Yeah, they really need to consider it. The agency I'm right now absolutely loves it. And yeah. that's why I actually <laughs> that's I, I, I learned it. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing because I I actually, when I thought that, Udi, I, I never thought I would ever go agency side again just because I was like, you know, I, I love being e-commerce driven. I love controlling creative. I love having opinions and, and getting to, to roll out them and, you know, focusing on what we're spending and what we're making. And I just didn't think I'd ever have that opportunity in an agency because I'd just seen so many out there that that focus probably on other things. They're obviously amazing at what they do, but they're mm. not e-commerce focused. And then obviously Ecom Nation approached me and I was like, oh, I never thought I'd say I'd leave the Udi. Like, I just thought, you know, I'm, I'm my dream job. I don't know, the biggest e-commerce, probably brand to be in Australia, I feel I almost so. the world. Like, it grew so quick. But I just thought, you know, like, oh, it'd be almost wasteful for me to just sort of not share what I've done across other brands and focus on that stuff. But yeah, I'd say I learned, I learned, oh, I owe everything I know to e-commerce to the level I know it to the Udi because it's just like, just so much happens. Like a week there would be like four months somewhere else or a year somewhere else. That's really with, interesting. With what you get to do. And, and it was cool. And then, you know, unlock doors with TikTok because it's an emerging platform and, you know, the budgets we had there and the things that we could test and, you know, the, the TikTok reps are absolutely amazing. So I went to a number of events and got to, you know, meet these other brands and see how they're using it. And then you get this like holistic view on not just advertising, but a platform because I could go across to a bikini brand, a, an activewear brand, a, a bag brand, a, a like body care what brand and doing. see what they were doing and going, oh, damn, like we're on the right path. We're doing the right things. We're all sort of experiencing similar stuff. And and it was, it was just amazing. Like I, I, love I absolutely that. loved it. And, and, like, Davey's just a, a man of, like, he's amazing. Like, there's no one like him. And it was great to go to the events and everyone be like, that's your boss. And I was like, yeah, that's my boss. <laughs> I think, like, wow, like, 15 minutes of his time would be worth so much. And I was like, I never really thought of that. But, yeah, it would be. <laughs> do you feel like he actually empowered you to just do your thing and do it and didn't didn't micromanage yeah. you, let you just, let you do your thing? He's an amazing boss. He's sort of got the attitude of, you know, like, his aim is to have the right people in the bus and go, that's your domain, that's your shit, you own it and you do it. You know, if something goes wrong, you'd, I'd never seen him ever get annoyed at anything. Like he's very level-headed, he's very humble, he's very focused. And I think that's why he's been so successful is that, you know, little things don't face him and he trusts like 
if I've hired you to do this job, you're going to do your job, but I'm going to trust you know what you're doing in your job. Yeah. And that's sort of his attitude across like the whole business from logistics to customer service to finance to digital to marketing. I think just as a business owner in general, you have to have that attitude. You know, you yeah. you hire people for their expertise. If you if you wanted to be micromanaging them, just, just do it yourself then. And then you don't have the time to do other things. I agree with that. And I also think, you know, you don't want to be the smartest person in every domain because then you've hired the wrong people. Couldn't agree more. So it's like, you know, you want people that know things better. Like even currently the ATM right now, I email girl is an absolute wizard and I love it because I go, you know what? You know your shit. I'm yeah. not going to try to pretend to know more about emails than you. Yeah. Like obviously, I know concepts and strategy and things like that. But when it comes to like doubling down and, and executing, that's your thing. Yeah. You do that and I'm going to trust that you're going to do it well and, and she does. And that's sort of the approach that like Davey has and, and my, my current role like Mal and Paul and Andy and all those managers sort of like, you know, hire the right people, have faith that they're doing it. And if something goes wrong, obviously check in because no one's perfect. No. People and, make mistakes. And the reality is too in digital, and I think this is where it gets challenging too, is because it's changing so quickly. Oh, forever. Changing. What worked last week does not work the yeah. next week. Yeah, it's crazy. How do you juggle that though? I think it's a matter of staying on top of what you're doing. So there's no such thing as set and forget. And if someone's setting and forgetting, then they're obviously they're not doing back, it properly. They're not doing it properly. And that's when you can probably have those conversations and go, hey, what? It's just sort of like, you know, being aware, testing things, trying things, paying attention to what's happening in market and stuff like that and staying focused. And I think that's why digital's worked for me. And that's why I sort of got a bit bored by traditional was like, you know, buying spots and dots didn't excite me. But, you know, going out there, trying different things, testing it, having to, obviously it's exhausting. I'd have less gray hairs if I wasn't in this industry, I reckon. But it's... I found five last week. Yeah, I was literally <laughs> like, I was looking at that and I was like, shit, I wonder if I had a less stressful job, would I look better? But anyway... Pick your um, battles. Yeah, you can't have it all. But yeah, I think it's constantly changing, but you just, you've got to have a, a care for it. Because yeah. if you care for it, then, you know, staying on top of the latest things and wanting to amend what content worked or what audiences worked or what structure worked. It's it's part and parcel. So if you don't love it, like you're in the wrong industry. Couldn't agree more. Or you're working with the wrong people. Yeah. No, 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 I couldn't agree more. And I think that's, you either love it or you hate it. The fact that it is changing, that you have to constantly learn. But you know, like even, it sounds silly, but like even for me doing this, I walk away from every episode with my wonderful guests and I just go, I took something away from that because I don't know everything. Oh, you will by the end, end, well, of, the end of the year. You, I'm going to be an absolute ma- fucking genius. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you can write a book. <laughs> Trust me, you don't want me to write a book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, it's it's cool. And I think the reality is that we all specialize in different areas and you simply cannot be a, and I hate this word, a guru at marketing as a whole. Yeah, I get so, I get so annoyed when I see like ads for like either people selling themselves or, or selling their services is like, oh, we're like the best ever. It's like, but you don't know that though. No. Like, how do you know you're the best ever? Yeah, like, you what, quantifying like, that? Yeah, like, where's the data? Yeah, I was like, like, <laughs> the numbers girl's going, show me the proof. Yeah, I'm like, where's the proof in the pudding? If you're saying you're the best, I respect that. And obviously, you're right and you're proven wrong. But like, you know, don't be making these accusations and calls because I've worked across so many categories and so many verticals and 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 with different brands and different budgets and different audiences. And I can hand on heart say, I've never seen the same thing work for the same people. So like, you know, you might 
slay it in a domain and you can say, yeah, I'm the best person for, I don't know. What's Let's say PTs. Product. Yes, for PTs, I'll hammer that yeah. market. and I, oh, I've got a cookie cutter and it works. Yeah, and you know what? You can probably say that and potentially you can say you're the best in that category, but you can't go as broad and say like, I'm the, the king or the guru of e-commerce because it's so big. It's so different yeah. and, and not the same thing works. It's a matter of having an attitude of wanting to learn the same things and getting it to work. Like say, yeah, we're the best at working out what works for you. Don't say, we were going to blah, blah, blah. It's, are you really? Yeah. You're just going to let someone I'm, down. Yeah, when I freelance, I remember like I would go into the meetings being like, I'm not going to say I'm going to make you like a 15 roll ass because, you know, I might not be able to because that might not be actually achievable for your brand. Correct. It's all relative. But like I'm going to say I'm going to go there. I'm going to work my butt off and I'm not going to stop until I work out what works or find what's broken and fix it. Yeah. Like, you know, like I don't, I think, you know, be honest, be open, be authentic. Just like ads need to be. <laughs> <laughs> that was one that yeah. you prepared earlier. Yeah. But oh it's, it's so true because you, nothing works for everyone. And I think, you know, I find it interesting agencies that do specialize in particular industries. Yeah. You know, I had a lot of questions when I first started the business. Are you going to specialize in real estate? Because that is my background. But no, I went into this because I want to prove that a really good social and content strategy works for any business. Challenge me and I will prove it. But you have to take the time to go through the data and work out how we can adapt. 100%. Because what works for Joe down the road doesn't work for Sam down the street. Do you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, that's exactly what I think. And it's the same from a performance background. It's like, I know my shit. I love it. I'm obsessed with it. Give me enough time. Give me enough data. Give me enough budget. And I'll find what works. What works. But it's a matter of, you know, you need that patience. And I think we live in a world where everyone wants things now. Like, you know, I'm, like giving, you, I'm giving you 10 grand and I want 50 grand now. It's like, that's awesome. Well, if that was the case, I'd be a multimillionaire. Know. You know, wow, that's how <laughs> it works. Yeah. Where it's sort of like, you know, patience and persistence is a big part of performance. Couldn't agree It's more. like you need to not get knocked down when something doesn't work, but you need to have the attitude to work out, okay, that didn't work, what can I do next? And that's why, you know, partnering with the right people is so important. Like I'm obsessed with all the clients that we have at the moment. And I'm so fortunate that they're all amazing and they've all got like a really good attitude and they trust that the right people are doing the right things and they give us time to get that. And, you know, given give us the right time to trust it, you do see the performance, but it's a matter of, you know, you can't expect... You know, if you bake a cake, you need to wait, what, an hour? Yeah. So it's sort of like, you know, give us time, give us budget, give us, give or us. Or you're going to eat some raw batter. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Or like, you know, your cakes are going to be finished. Doesn't mean the rest recipe is wrong. It's just you didn't give it enough time to get to that final product of being delicious. We hadn't heard a good analogy in a couple episodes. So I oh, find that one has to get added I to the book. And, uh, and my lovely Kobe that works with me at Digital, she loves a cake analogy. So I'm going to have to take that oh, one back to the office perfect. and claim it. <laughs> yes, do it. Uh, give you permission. But it's you're exactly right. And I think, you know, what I find interesting with you guys at Ecom as well is how you kind of work with your clients to prioritize which platforms you're going to put your spend on because just because you're getting results on TikTok with a bad client doesn't mean you're going to get results on TikTok with a with an alcohol brand. Yeah, I agree with that. I completely agree with that. I think different people use different platforms differently and you need to kind of understand like, who am I? Where do I fit? And where's my audience? And what way can I connect with them? Firstly, depending on your budget, the most efficiently. Yes. And impactfully. And yep. then, you know, you go off there. So if you're someone that people are coming for a high level of intent, they know what they want, you know, Google's your, Google's your thing. Yeah. If you're like a, you know, service or you're, you say someone's like a neck roller, like I need a neck roller, go to Google. 
where if you're something that, you know, you've got a range of products, you want to inspire them, you want to get them excited, you know, Facebook, TikTok, things like that. It's sort of like understanding where you fit in that journey and then finding the best way to do it. And I think why also I love working at Ecom Nation is that I feel like all of the clients we work with treat us as an extension of the team. So as connected as I was Agreed. to the Udi and all the niche brands with inside the Udi and working with those brand managers on, on the strategy and the direction and the content, I have that opportunity to do that where I'm at now. And then it allows me to keep growing as a professional, but also give the best feedback, the best opinion, the best direction as someone that they're obviously outsourcing and paying we're basically part of their team. Yeah, and I think that is a beautiful way to approach any agency relationship. I think yeah. you see the best results when when you you're essentially looking at them as a part of your team because if you if you've selected someone to, you know, work with you and have insight into the business, you need to trust them. You need to feel safe with them. You need to be able to be vulnerable with them. Definitely. Um, I think ego is probably one of the biggest things that threatens any working relationship. And if you're not prepared to go, "Hey, this didn't work," or you know, we had a really bad month last month or, you know, whatever happened. Cool. We need to know that. Yeah, definitely. And I think you can't hide behind your mistakes. Like I think it's like no mistakes or even, you know, you might have a plan. It might not work out, but it's just like owning it and then pivoting and iterating and just kind of working on that process. Like obviously everything, everything I do isn't perfect. There'll be times where, you know, something could, could have been better, obviously not by intention, but I feel the, the level of sadness for things that don't go right that I do Always. when things go, when they do go right. So I'm like, you know, I'm happy when they're happy and I am sad when clients probably aren't hitting the mark because of either external factors, things that didn't hit or or content or different sort of things like that. It's sort of like, you know, you take their wins and their losses. You don't just speak to the wins and, yeah. you know, step away from the losses. Like it's sort of taking that level of accountability for everything that you, you do. You can't hide away from the elephant in the room. Like if something no. hasn't worked, just go, cool, this is what we need to do. Yeah. That's just the reality. I do want to talk to you about finding creators on TikTok because I did have an interesting conversation with a friend the other day and um, I don't even know how we got on the topic of this conversation. But naturally, obviously, as your feed is quite curated based on what you're looking at. So, you know, I looked at one Kailani video after I went to the concert and now my feed um, is all her. It was amazing. The algorithm, they know what you like. <laughs> so so then if, I'm look, if I want to find skincare creators and things like that, how am I best to do? How am I best to go about doing that? I need to basically be searching, don't I? Yeah, I'd probably say it's quite interesting because TikTok is extremely tailored to the audience. So that's why it's also so addictive because, you know, they know what people want and they know how to keep them there. So it's sort of a a matter of, you know, stepping out of your For You page because that's for you. Mm. Like, you know, the algorithm knows like this is going to keep her here. She's not going to leave. We're just going to keep giving her things that she wants because we want her to stay. Where you can go sort of away, you can go a about it, depending on what you're wanting, like there's incognito mode to just sort of understand concepts and things that are working just as a step back. So it's not tailored to a profile. So if you go incognito on Windows and then go TikTok, see what they're sort of feeding you to captivate you. And that gives you an idea on Ah. maybe content pieces that they think will capture you and make you kind of addicted to the platform, I'd say, in a sense. But then also looking for creators, I'd say you need to sort of look in the categories you care for and then see who's dominating it. Yeah. Like if I'm like looking for, say, skincare, it'd be like daily routines. Yeah. And then like who's ranking for daily routines? Where where do their followers sit? Or I'd also kind of look through people that are potentially even, you know, publishing stuff and tagging and getting good engagement and going, this person likes a product and they're doing a good job at it. What if I gave them, yeah. gave them my content? And obviously like, you know, TikTok has the creator place where you can sort of find creators in there and see which ones align there. But it's sort of just 
I would probably be looking for creators I think speak my brand. Yeah. Like if I was going to sell something for a drinking brand, I'd be like, oh, who's someone that's like fun and loves going out? And then like, what's their content look like? And then being like, you know, I fit into their life and their audience that like that kind of stuff, my product fits into. So I I want to I want to double down on that audience. I want to get more people from there. I want to do that. Or even like something that with like a, when I was at the David Group, you know, like people that do get ready with me well. Yeah. You know, they're getting ready in an, in an Udi. And they're, and they're looking like they're doing stuff. It's sort of like, you know, they're owning that category, not necessarily. But nothing they, to do with the product. <laughs> nah, but <laughs> they're like, it. you know, you're becoming part of that journey. Yeah. So it's sort of just, you know, you need to take the time. There's no like overnight fix. It's like. No, and I appreciate that. I think that I think yeah. that's a really good way to look at it. Like you really need to just like be like, okay, let's take a step back. Let's have an actual hard thing. How do we fit into their life? Yeah, because there's no point backing someone that every week's pushing a different product. No, nah. I mean, that's influencer marketing 101, yeah. right? Yeah. It's just, it's, it's inauthentic. Unless their content's amazing. If it's inauthentic, you know, people could sniff it out. And on TikTok, it's not going to work. I find it interesting. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on people posting the same content on Instagram and TikTok. Because it irks me. Uh, from a brand perspective or an organic perspective? Organic. Both. Yeah, I think organically it doesn't work. I think what you can do is go TikTok first and then take it to socials because I think people have become quite accustomed to that sort of style. And for yeah. one of the brands that I'm seeing at the moment, organically their TikTok strategy is resonating, but it's dependent on the brand. You definitely can't take a Facebook ad or an Instagram ad and put it on TikTok. No. Like you, you won't see success with that ever. Uh, if someone's proven me wrong, please let me know. And, <laughs> and I'm sorry for such a bold statement. <laughs> like I'll take it back maybe majority of the time. But you can take TikTok and put it on Meta and see success from a page. I agree, yeah. So you can't take Facebook or Instagram content and put it on, you never. You no. won't see success. You won't get a return investment. Different you won't concept. get engagement. And it's not native. Like TikTok is so obvious where like everything in TikTok is designed to flow. And when you break that flow, it's not even like we spoke about at the beginning. It's not disruptive in the sense of, oh, wow, I'm engaged by this level of disruption and I'm hooked by it's, this hook. It's why like, is this it's like, why oh, is this next. Because yeah. you have you have to do a zero second start on TikTok. So it's like, if you're not captivating them in that first instant or you don't have a good thumbnail, bye. Yeah, wow. Yeah, so it's a zero second start platform. What has been the biggest learning through your working closely with TikTok over the last couple of years? I would say you just need to get to know the platform. Like, and it's a thing, it's a time consuming thing for brands, depending on where what kind of brand they are and where they started. Obviously, if you start out on TikTok, you're going to love it because you know the platform, you know the audience. But I'd probably say, you know, pick a pillar and speak to it. Or you can speak to all of them depending on what you're doing. But like TikTok was created to educate, entertain, bring joy. Oh, there's a few other ones. But the main thing is like you either go in there to learn something new. You're going there to laugh. Yeah, you're going there to be entertained. You're going there to discover a new product. Yeah. So it's like if you're not fitting into that one of those pillars from your from your content strategy, like why would people why watch it? Because yep. they don't even consider themselves. It was quite interesting because I remember going to um, one of the incubator events in Byron and and I, I thought this anyway and then they said it and I was like, oh, cool. I was thinking about the platform correctly. Like they think of themselves as an entertainment channel and they were sort of saying like, we're not competing with Google. We're not competing with Facebook. Like we're competing with Disney. We're competing with Stan. We're competing with Netflix. Like people... There was a trend of people spending an average of like 10 hours a day. Like that's a you lot of hours. You blink and it's three hours. Yeah, it's crazy. It's scary. Yeah. And it's like, you know, people going there. And even now, you know, it's even eating into some search budget because people going there to like how to make 
dinner. And I know all my friends are, oh, I found this recipe on TikTok. The, bro- the broccoli hack where you, where you boil it upside down. Yeah. My sister-in-law was fascinated. She's like, I'm sick of making a mess when I, when I cut my broccoli. So you boil it first. I was like, this is ridiculous. You need to get off the phone. Yeah, people just learn something. See, they're discovering. Yeah. So it's sort of just like, I forgot we even asked. But yeah, it's just sort of like pretty much it's a platform that people use for a lot of different things. I think it's just hard for brands. It's almost like we overcomplicate it. Yeah. And it's like, even like, I know, I, I go, oh, to post, that'd be funny. And I go, oh, no. Nah. And then I oh, don't do it. Where I think as a brand, like take just a step post back the video. and simplify <laughs> it. And you know, you got to test and try. Yeah. You know, you got to you got to lose. You got to have those videos that flop and to just work out, oh, this didn't flop. Why didn't this flop? And then iterate. I'm really glad you say that because I think one of the biggest things that I try to say to my team, particularly when we do our monthly reporting, they get really, like we all get really like beat down when something doesn't perform. And it's like, oh. no, because it's you versus you. You cannot consistently always outperform yourself. It's impossible. Yeah, it So is. if you didn't have those less than amazing posts, then we wouldn't have the highs, right? Exactly. That's literally life. Like, and it's like, you need to learn that. And I think as well, it's, it's tough because, you know, the winds are always pushed. Like, always. you don't hear about the time people sucked or they, <laughs> they you know, they, they lost they or they didn't do face. a good job. You know, you hear yeah. of like, wow, like they're doing so well. But it's like to do so well, you need to sort of accept that to learn, you have to fail. And to fail, you get better once you fail. Like, you know, the feeling of doing something shit or bad, you know, it sucks. But then you're like, oh my God, I don't want to feel that again. Or okay, you learn I've from done it. this, let's not do that again. And you learn. And like for brands and, and for content on TikTok, especially like you need to do stuff that doesn't work to go, damn, that sucked. And that's definitely not TikTok. That ad was too quick. Yeah, The hook didn't come in early enough. We didn't, you know, we didn't have someone that was authentic. The lighting was bad. That background was shit. You know, there's all these things that you go, you know what, I thought that and I've put it out there. Prove me right. Let's move on. Let's move on. And you know, there might be something like, there's some instances where like something, you know, you didn't think would work and you go, what the heck? Oh, don't you love when that happens though? And you're like, I thought this ad was going to win and this ad's won and I'm I'm irked and confused, but you know what, I'm going to do another iteration. And if it wins again, you go, Okay, let's milk this until it's dead because obviously the same thing doesn't work all the time. Obviously, the part of the part of parcel digital, you know. Don't you love though, like oh. when the thing that you don't want to do well does well, and it's like, ah, oh. yeah, you're like, <laughs> what? I wasn't expecting that. No, that's why now I always go, oh, let's test it because I, I don't want to. Like, obviously, you need to be proven wrong, but I don't always. enjoy it too much. So I'll be like, let's just test it before I go in with an opinion. In my mind, I'll pick a winner, and then if the data backs, I'm like, yes. And then if it didn't, I go, oh. Well, and then I'll let them know the, the right results. But yeah, it's just sort of a matter of testing, trialing. Yeah, you got to fail. To be good, you've got to lose. Like, you know, if, if everything is smooth, that's awesome, but it's unrealistic. It's really unrealistic. Is, yeah, and, and I, I think, think that's the nature of digital, isn't it? Yeah, it's, yeah, nothing's going to be 100% perfect all the time. You've got to lose some things. You've got to win some things. You've got to learn. You've got to iterate. It's just trial and error and consistency. And I think in terms of digital, in terms of people, in terms of life, like, it's persistence that makes a difference between a winner and a loser. You know, if you lose and you stop at your loss, then you're a loser. But if you lose and you get up and you go again, then you're not left a loser. You just, you only lose when you stop. I love that. You know what I mean? I love that. So I think... Very wise words we learned about yeah. baking cakes. We learned about... <laughs> yeah, it's sort of... Yeah, I, I, that's my theory with life is like, you know, even when I wanted to learn digital, they're like, no, 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 you're not going to learn it. And they'd give the role to people that I knew didn't care. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm going to be a performance fucking guru. Like I was 
adamant on it and I wasn't given the opportunity, but I didn't stop and sit there and they go, no, you stay doing traditional. No, I don't want to do traditional. No, you may like, have That's not what is going to bring me joy. That's not what I want to spend the next 20 years doing. And it brings people joy and I respect that. But for me as a person, I wanted a skill where I could take my laptop and go... You could work anywhere. ...work in Greece. And not saying I wouldn't work... Like, you know, I want to go work around the world. Like, I want to go I want to go do shit. Obviously, I haven't had time to do it now because I'm just so busy. But my life plan's not to, to rely on, you know, a TV network or a radio network. To, like, I could do what I do all by myself... Anywhere. It's and, pretty amazing, and that's what I and it? that's what I wanted. And that's the, the flexibility and the opportunity I wanted as a person. But I didn't take the no of, okay, I'm just gonna stay in the situation. I was like, nah, I'm gonna upskill in my own time and then I'm gonna keep my eye out. Cause I was like, is it a multinational agency then? Multinational, sorry, I couldn't say that. Agency then where I knew roles were out all the time and I'd message this and that. And then, you know, when things changed and and a role came up, I was like, I wanna do it. Please let me do it. And then I I put my head down, I put my butt up and I was like, I'm I'm Make doing it, it. Yeah. And then, you know. Ever since then, I, and then I did the digital and I was like, I love e-commerce. I don't just want to do the branding side of it. Like I want to do the, like, you know, I want a brand. You I want to see the rewards. And it's funny that I ended up working for Davey because he went to my school and I just saw him and I was like, he's so cool and successful. <laughs> and I like, like fangirled like what he'd been able to do. And I was like, if he can do an e-commerce brand and make however many millions, surely I can do one and make a couple hundred yeah. dollars. Like, I'll be happy with that. And then I really got the job there. And then I learned e-commerce like, no, like I never imagined I'd get the opportunity to. And then obviously the curse of knowledge, I was like, shit, there's a lot that goes into a brand. It's not as easy as I thought. But, you know, it's that thing of just, you just got to keep going. Like just don't stop. And if you think you want to do it, and you think it's going to work, don't stop until it works. Yeah. And I think think the, the sheer reality is when, A, when things are changing so often, but also there is no categoric right or wrong. Nah. That, I think it's, it's amazing, but it is overwhelming perhaps at the same time because, yeah, you might think that something's going to work, but until you test it and try it and see what happens, you've got no freaking idea. And sometimes something doesn't work and you just cannot work out why. Yeah, it's crazy. And it's, it's, it's dumbfounding, crazy. but it's just the nature of the beast. Oh, 100%. And I, I, I couldn't agree with that more. It's even like with accounts, like, you know, some things I do, I'll be like, oh my God, this is amazing. This is absolutely killing it. Yeah. And then I'll... Because I'm lucky I work across multiple brands. I'll test it. And like some of them, it will, it will slap. And I'll be like, fuck yeah, yeah. working. And then others will be like, damn, I, I thought yeah, that would why? work. But then I try something else. And then obviously you find something that works for them. But it's, it's you've just got to test. You've just got to try. And you've just got to have faith that you know your brand. You know you're, you're discovering audiences. Obviously, you don't want to pigeonhole yourself no. to just a audience. You, you know that there's people out there that want that product. You know you, why you're in this market. You know why people should buy from you. And then... Go out there and fucking find a way that makes it work. You heard it here first. Yeah. Georgia, thank you so much for your time. Honestly, your insight is amazing. And I think, you know, again, even though these platforms are evolving all the time, I I, I will say it to the cows come home. Fundamentals. Yeah. Always, you know, even yes, digital is changing things. But if you don't understand your place and your purpose and why someone is interested in you when they're on a certain platform... your success will be limited. Oh, if you don't know your why, why would anyone else? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Oh, even better. That's literally, that's that's Add that one to the book, Nick. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Well, thank you so much for having me. I absolutely loved it. Well, Georgia's first podcast and I think we'll have to get her back. So as always, you can join our Facebook group, Digitalks. Any questions for myself or for Georgia? Any other guests you'd like to see? As you can see, we are diversifying, which is a bit of fun. So we are getting local business owners on too. So if there's anyone who you think has really really made their mark online and in real life, let me know. Until next time. Bye.